ele. This is Memorial Day weekend, and it's a time that we remember men and women who've given their lives to serve this country. And so let's just take a moment of silence, just between you and the Lord, just thank the Lord for the privilege we have of worship today and the sacrifice that they have made. We do thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy and celebrate, even by worshiping here together today. God, we recognize men and women who bravely fought and gave their lives on the battlefield to provide this. And God, we also thank you for Jesus, who because of his shed blood on the cross, we can truly be free. So Lord, we give you this time now in Christ's name. I invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. I'm teaching through the book of Galatians this summer. And just to catch you up to date, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Galatia, several churches in that region, and obviously the letter would have been passed around so that others could read it. So let me read the passage, Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Then, after an interval of fourteen years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation, for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage, that we did not even yield to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who are of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, Seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James, Cephas, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. The only thing they asked of us was to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. I remember a time when my kids were younger, and I probably did this more than one time, if other children were over at the house playing with them, and their parents may have been there, but if they were getting into something they weren't supposed to be getting into, maybe misbehaving, doing things they shouldn't be doing, there were times that I would correct my kids. I would say to them, now, kids, you remember you're not supposed to. And they kind of look at me like, yeah, Dad, we know that. It wasn't for their benefit I was saying that. It was for the kids who were messing up that I was just trying to remind them, don't do that. And part of the reason I was having to remind them is their parents were clueless <laughs> or just didn't care. And so I want you to pay attention as we look at these ten verses. I really think a lot of that is what's happening here. If you remember the audience 
that this letter is written to, the letter makes a little more sense. I'll just be honest with you. These ten verses have a lot of... If you're an English teacher here and you read this in the original language especially, it would bother you because there's a lot of sentence fragments, there's parentheses, and then there's even parentheses that don't show parentheses. And so I'm going to try to walk you through that. But if you remember... Who's Paul writing to? Well, he's writing to the church in Galatia. But also hearing the letter would be these Judaizers, these people that were trying to press the church towards legalism. Really two groups of people, I think. One were perhaps legitimate Christians. These were former Jews and really completed Jews who had come to faith in Christ, but they wanted to add something to the cross, which Paul later calls an enemy of the cross. They were saying, men, you've got to be circumcised, and all of you have got to perfectly keep the Old Testament law. So they're adding something to the cross, legalism. I gave several definitions a few weeks ago as we began the, the letter to the Galatians. But one that I'll share with you today is this. Legalism is working in our own power, according to our own rules, ultimately to earn God's favor. Let, let me put that in modern language. This would be modern day legalism, right behavior with wrong belief. Let me give you some right behaviors. Having your quiet time, going to church, Bible study, helping others, avoiding certain sins. Is there anything wrong with those things? No. Bible study is good. Having your quiet time is good. I recommend it highly. Helping others is good. Avoiding sins is great. But if you do it to earn God's favor, then where is grace in that? You've discounted grace. You've cheapened it. Grace is what? It's unearned favor. God has poured out His grace upon those who placed their faith in Him, trusted Him as Lord and Savior. That's grace. I've shared this before, but people just don't get grace. How many of you play golf? That's terrible. Do you know how much the Myrtle Beach economy depends on golf? How many of you ever play golf? Well, a lot of you are quitters. <laughs> I'm serious. I saw like five hands go up that they play golf. You just don't want to admit it, do you? Well, I play golf some. And there's occasions, you know, you give gimme putts, right? So this one time, guy was close enough. I said, hey, that's good. Pick it up. He said, oh, no. No, I don't, I don't deserve that. I said, I know it's grace. He said, I don't deserve grace. I said, exactly. You don't. <laughs> grace is not what you deserve. But somehow in our human mentality, we think, if I can do something then perhaps I've earned God's favor. God will be more pleased with me if I do this. Now, has God got things for you to do? Yes. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, talk about God's grace. Ephesians 2, 10 says you are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Legalism happens when you flip the order of that. And you assume that if I do the good things, then I will earn God's favor. No, you do the good things because you've got God's favor. You're a child of God, a child of the King. That's Good news. Let me first of all look at look then. So that's the purpose of the point of this passage. That there's a build-up to the meeting. Paul says after an interval, he went up again to Jerusalem. An interval of about 14 years. And scholars debate over which visit this was. Paul didn't spend a lot of time in Jerusalem. In the first chapter, he's already talked about after about three years, he went up to visit for a little while with Peter. Cephas. If you read it, you're going to want to say Cephas, but it's Peter. He went up and visited with him for about 15 days, and then after about four years, 14 years, I think he's talking about 14 years from that time, so he's been a Christian now for about 17 years. 
What did Paul used to do? Paul used to persecute Christians. He was part of the Jewish militia, so to speak, to go out and literally drag believers back to Jerusalem to be imprisoned or even sometimes put to death. That's Paul. So it's been about 17 years. There may be another occasion that he came to talk about the offering. I think this was the occasion for the Jerusalem Council. And for some of you, you're like, what difference does it make? Just forget it. Don't worry about it. It's been about 17 years since he, he was saved. 14 years since the time that he was, has just mentioned in chapter 1. So a lot's been going on in that time. He has been preaching the gospel. And so because of a revelation of God, he goes up with Barnabas and Titus to Jerusalem. One thing let me tell you about Jerusalem. It doesn't matter which direction you come from, you're going up. So it doesn't always mean he was headed north. Sometimes he may have been headed south, out of Antioch, out of the region of Galatia, or any of those places. But if you ever go over there, you'll, you'll see. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You're going to ascend to Jerusalem. And he took Barnabas with him. Barnabas had helped start the church. But he also took Titus. And I think it's strategic because Titus was a Greek, and he mentions that. And you're kind of wondering what's the big significance of his lineage and his background. He was a non-Jew. He had never been circumcised. And so for Titus, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a button to push to figure out, is this going to be going to be accepted among the other new believers that came out of the Jewish faith that were raised Jews? Are they going to accept Titus? And so Paul said it's because of revelation, because of this disclosure from God, that God directs him to go up to Jerusalem. Now let's look at the details of the meeting. And this is interesting. Paul convenes kind of a private time with these pillars of the church, these men of reputation. He said, I submitted the gospel that I've been preaching, that I preach, literally present tense. This is what I'm preaching among the Gentiles in private to those of reputation. So Paul literally gathers together, especially Peter and James and John. There may have been some others there, but the ones that he trusted, that he had a good opinion of, in fact, I think you're going to see some sarcasm a little bit from Paul. And I think it's because he's writing and he knows Judaizers are going to be reading this. All Paul had ever heard out of Galatia is, well, these people are coming and saying they are, they are authorized by Peter, James, and John. They're authorized by the real apostles. Paul, you really don't count. And so they were using that as kind of a club to beat up Paul when he wasn't there to make these people think, well, you need to follow us. Yeah, Paul preached grace. Paul preached you can come to Christ and not become a Jew first. But we're telling you what Peter, James, and John are saying. So Paul says, no, I went and had a private meeting with them, and I outlined my gospel. This is what I'm preaching. And we'll find out later they were totally in acceptance of that. Paul said, I did it because I wanted to make sure I hadn't been working myself to death. I hadn't been running to keep the church together, running in vain. Now, it's not that Paul's saying... I'm, I'm delivering the gospel to them to find out if I have misbelieved. No, because where did Paul's gospel come from? He makes it clear in the first chapter. It didn't come from man. It came from God. So if you know you've got the word from God, it doesn't matter what other people say. And so Paul takes it to these pillars of the church because he wants to make sure he keeps the church united because this was an issue that could fragment and fracture the church. If you still had people preaching that, the Jews or the Christians in Jerusalem who are former Jews are, are a set, different set of Christians than you are. They're, they're a little closer to God than you are. Then what's that going to make the Gentiles feel like? 
Those who come to faith in Christ and weren't raised Jews are going to kind of feel like second-class Christians. Yeah, you're going to be welcome into heaven, but you're going to have to come in the back door. You ever felt that way? I have. And it wasn't over being the Jew thing. It was over the, the just the issue of grace, of understanding God has forgiven you. And it's not because you deserve it. It's because of grace. And so he makes a point of saying, not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to circumcision. And then I think Paul takes a little step back, a little parentheses, but he says, but it was because, I think the whole reason Paul is there is because of this dispute, these false brethren, literally pseudo-brothers, these pretend Christians, these wolves in sheep's clothing, who have been secretly brought in. Now, who's brought them in? Well, scholars debate that, but I think it's simply this. I think they could have been brought in by other believers, but I think more than that, I think the Jews who were ticked off at this growing religion of Christianity, I think they sent some people in pretending to be a part of the church, pretending to be believers, Paul calls them false brothers. You can't say that they're Christians who had it wrong. I think they were people who weren't Christians. So they are secretly brought in, sneaked in, literally to come alongside stealthily to spy out our liberty. It's as if they're on a military mission, and the general has said, you go into the enemy camp, spy it out, and find out how we can sabotage the camp. And that's what these false brethren were trying to do. And Paul was wise to it. God had opened his eyes to it. And Paul was going to nip it in the bud, as Barney Fife would say. And that is, let's deal with it head on. Because what they want to do is bring us into bondage. They want to add to the cross a burden that we were never intended to bear. And bring us back into bondage. But he says, we didn't yield to them for even an hour. And if you think about that, you think, seriously, somebody was keeping time over there? A lot of translations say even for a moment, which is probably a better translation to say, we didn't yield to them even for a moment. You ever, you know, I think it's a phrase, a term, but have you ever heard somebody say, you know, I didn't believe that for a minute. Does that mean like for 59 seconds you did believe it? Like right at the last? You ever heard that phrase? I didn't believe that for a minute. How about this one? I grew up in the South, so I, I don't know. I never understood this one. I didn't believe that for a New York minute. I know there's some people here from New York. Y'all are from New York. What does that mean? I never understood that. Y'all ever heard that phrase, a New York minute? I've heard Philadelphia lawyer. Pat, what does that mean? I don't know. New York minute. But Paul is basically saying, listen, because we were confident in the gospel, these outsiders who came in preaching something else, we didn't give it any platform. We didn't give it any ear because we knew they were wrong. And they, we knew they were trying to, de to deceive. And the reason we didn't give it to them is because we wanted the truth of the gospel to remain with you. Men and women, at the end of the day, that's what's most important. All this other stuff. There's stuff today you can hear on television, hear on the radio, perhaps hear in pulpits across America or the world that's adding something to the gospel or they, they've kind of shifted the focus of the gospel and it's kind of a half-truth, but a half-truth's a whole lie, right? You've got to be careful. So Paul said, we didn't yield to that even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. We live in a generation where one of our presidents years ago said, 
You haven't heard my version of the truth. Does truth have versions? I mean, I understand you had not heard my side of the story. But truth is truth. The problem is we've tried to make, in some circles, truth relative. I've heard people say, well, you know, that may be true for you. But that's not true for me. Really? Who made you the arbiter of truth? Truth is truth. You may not like it. You may not agree with it. You may not yield to it. But it's still the truth. And folks, listen. If you're struggling in your walk with Christ, the thing to return to is what? The truth. One thing. Satan would love to make you doubt your salvation. I remember as a youth pastor, I did like a six-week series on assurance of salvation. Three weeks later, a girl came up. She said, really struggling about whether I'm saved or not. I was like, were you not here for those six weeks? I've dealt with that. No, what happened? You're walking with Christ, and Satan loves to throw these little seeds of doubt. So what do you do? You come back to the facts. You come back to the truth. Have you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? If you're not, then don't bank on the fact you've been to church camp, you went to church last week, you're a member of a church. What is it? The truth of the gospel. That is that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And through faith in Him, I have eternal life. That's the truth that Paul said. We, we weren't going to give up on that for a moment. And let me just ask you, are there any parts of the gospel you're willing to compromise on? Paul was willing, for the weak believer, Paul was willing to almost do anything to bring them along in the faith. But for the non-believer who was trying to distort the gospel, Paul wouldn't compromise an inch. And folks, I think we live in a day and age, you need to be careful. There's a lot of spiritual stuff out there. We need to be careful that we don't compromise the truth. There's things in church that aren't worth fighting over. The color of the carpet, we don't even have carpet. So we're not fighting anymore on the color of the carpet. We might fight over where we, where we, we have carpet or not. Is that going to matter in eternity? No. But the gospel truth matters in eternity. Don't compromise on that. Then he kind of comes back to you. But those of high re reputation. And, and then he puts a little parenthesis. It doesn't make any difference to me what people think of him. Because God's not a respecter of person. Literally, God doesn't care what, what your face looks like. makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. And, and I want you to catch this. Paul is not using sarcasm to Peter and James and John. Paul had ultimate respect for Peter, James, and John. What's he doing? He's saying to these Judaizers, listen, I know you've lifted these people up as being the only authority. So four times he kind of addresses pillars and high reputation and their reputation. And all he's simply saying is, I submitted the gospel to them, and they added nothing to it, which is good news. They didn't come away from the meeting and say, okay, Paul, you're, you're close, but you need to add a couple things. And the one thing Paul was looking for specifically is where does circumcision fit in all this? And you'll find out later, they finally out of the Jerusalem council said, no, you don't have to go back and go through the ritual of being a Jew to be a Christian. They didn't add anything to Paul's preaching. And then last, the results of the meeting. 
verses 7 and following. But on the contrary, Paul said, they didn't add anything to me, to the gospel, but on the contrary, seeing that I was entrusted with preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. What's Paul saying? Paul, who was a Jew, if I had been in charge, I'd have messed this up. I'd have thought, who better to go to the Jew than Paul? Because he is a Jew. Paul even said, I was a Jew among Jews, a Pharisee among Pharisees. But that's not how God worked it. Now, does that mean that Paul never shared the gospel with a Jew? Absolutely not. We know that he did. In fact, Paul typically, when the first place he went when he got to a new city was the synagogue. Did Peter never describe the gospel and share the gospel with a non-Jew? Yes, he did. Caesarea. But their mission, primarily, Peter was called to reach Jews. Paul was called to reach non-Jews. And the gospel spread. And the cool thing is, what they recognized is, the same God who effectually worked for Peter was also effectually working for Paul. And can I just stop a minute and say, the same God works in you. I think there's times as believers we're scared to share our faith because we're saying, I can't do that. I can't, I can't make somebody a Christian. Well, you can. Well, what can you do? You tell them, give them the reason for the hope that's within you. You can tell them what you know about Jesus. It's not your responsibility to lead anybody to Christ. It's God at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So let the pressure off a little bit and simply be faithful. Paul's saying, God's working effectually for Peter. God's working effectually for me. And it's a good thing. Because the gospel is not compromised. The truth is being proclaimed. And so when these three, James, Peter, and John, recognized the grace given to Paul, they gave him and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. And you may just think, what's the big deal about a handshake? I think by this time they're in front of the whole assembly. And these three pillars of the church Pillars, not pillows. I've already heard some people say, man, these chairs sure are comfortable. <laughs> Don't bring pillows. These are pillars of the church. I think in front of the whole assembly, they reach out their hand, which in that culture was an indication of fellowship, koinonia, of partnership. Hey, we're working together. You may be going that way and I may be going this way, but we're going for the same reason, and that is we're telling people the truth about the gospel of Christ. So they gave them the right hand of fellowship, and they only asked one thing of them. Just please remember the poor. If you read First and Second Corinthians, you see Paul talk about this a lot. They were taking an offering. Why? Because the Christians in Jerusalem were destitute. They couldn't find jobs. A lot of times they couldn't be a part of the family anymore because they've left the Jewish faith. They've come to faith in Christ. They're now outcast. And it didn't mean there weren't poor people outside of there like Macedonia and other places, but typically there were also wealthy people who helped take care of those people. And so what these three are saying is, hey, listen, don't forget there's people that are starving in Jerusalem because they've come to faith in Christ. And Paul said, hey, you don't have to remind me of that. That's the very thing I was eager to do. I was already doing that. I was already using speed and bent upon taking care of the poor. So in closing, just the so what. How are we going to guard the truth? You're now ambassadors 
for Christ. If you're a believer, if you've come to faith in Christ, just four quick thoughts. First one is this. Always tell the truth, even in the small things. It builds credibility. If you are known as a man or woman who you know when you speak, you're going to speak the truth. That builds credibility. In fact, some people lie so much they can't remember the truth. I think it was Mark Twain who said, always tell the truth, that way you don't have to have a good memory. I remember as a teenager growing up, I don't remember who started the lie, but when I turned 16, I didn't have a car to drive. But in our youth group, people started telling people, Robert's, Robert's parents are getting him a Trans Am. They started calling me Trans Am Rob, and some of you don't even know what a Trans Am is. It's a really cool car. And I heard the lie so many times, I kind of thought, maybe they know something. Where's my Trans Am? <laughs> well, I never got a Trans Am. Why? Because my parents were never going to buy me that. I had to buy my own car. And it wasn't a Trans Am. Second thing, don't believe everything you hear. If you hear somebody, even in the name of Jesus, proclaim something on television, on the radio, or even from a pulpit, check it out with Scripture. If it doesn't square with the truth of God's Word, don't believe it, and for goodness sakes, don't preach it. Not everything on the Internet is true. Not everything that gets forwarded into your inbox is true. Be careful. <laughs> Third thing, know the Word of God. You'll be able to spot a lie if you know the Word of God. John 8, 31 through 32 says, So Jesus was saying to these Jews who had believed in Him, If you continue in My Word, then you're truly disciples of Mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Last thing. Don't only know the truth, but speak the truth. Tell people the good news. That's what the gospel, the word gospel means. Good message. Good news. When the angels appeared to the shepherds on the hillside, they said what? We've got good news. What was the good news? Jesus Christ has been born. We've got great news. Not only was he born, he lived a perfect life, died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sin, and has risen from the dead, and he's coming back. That's our message, folks. So guard the truth. And keep the truth. And speak the truth. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that your word is the truth. It's the final authority. We can totally rest upon it. Thank you for that. God, I pray even in this day and age when the truth is assaulted, sometimes even in the name of Christianity, help us to spot the wolf in sheep's clothing, the false brother. And God, may we return to your word and let that be the platform, the foundation for what is true. And God, help us even this week as we encounter error regarding the gospel, or we even encounter questions regarding the gospel, help us to be truth bearers that can tell people the reason for the hope that's within us. We pray this in Christ's name. Russell and Chris, you're going